Ben Smith, I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hello people, this is Ben, and this, as you know, is A Small Voice Conversations with Photographers, my podcast your favourite photography podcast and probably the best photography podcast in the world. As they used to say on the Carlsberg beer commercials, which uh, I guess I'm ageing myself, a lot of you will not remember those, but some might. Anyway, I digress already and I've got a lot to get through. Uh, we've got some sponsor reads to do and I'm, I appreciate you guys sticking around for those. There's going to be four this week and it's one too many I know, but it's just for the next couple of episodes we've got four and uh, then we'll revert back to three because that's as many as I think there should be. But um, please stick around for them. Um, I'm going to do one now. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by MPB. Now, this couldn't be more appropriate because I'm going to be talking to Luca about the circular economy. This sponsor, MPB, mention circularity in their ad because they also are 100% circular. So anyway, MPB is the largest global platform on which to buy, sell and trade your used photo and video kit. Uh, They're not a marketplace. They buy directly from sellers and evaluate the items before reselling the approved kit. They've got a dynamic pricing engine which provides the right price upfront based on make, model, condition and market across a huge selection of camera bodies, lenses and accessories. All of their items are inspected carefully by product specialists and come with a six-month warranty, which gives you, the customer, peace of mind that buying used doesn't mean sacrificing reliability. Their business model is 100% circular. They promote sustainability, diversity and inclusion in everything they do. All packaging is 100% plastic-free and their cloud-based platform uses 100% renewable electricity. And with first-class customer service, their users can receive support through the help centre or by speaking with an expert. At MPB, there's equipment for everyone who wants to try something new, hone their skills or pursue their passion and it won't cost the earth. Visit mpb.com, the simple, safe and circular way to trade upgrade and get paid for kit anyway more on the circular economy to come obviously before we kick off what have i been up to i just spent the weekend down in bristol at the bop festival that's books on photography for those of you who are unfamiliar and didn't listen to the special from this time last year on this very podcast which would uh, give you a better insight into what bop's all right all about but i went back down there this weekend, I had a slightly different experience because I decided I'm going to have a go at the old book selling game. And um, I sort of pruned my very modest collection down because I haven't got that many photo books compared to some people I know who've got just gazillions of them. But I still have more than I have room for. So anyway, I thought I'm going to take a few down there and see if I can flog them. So I did sort of try to do a bit of podcasting at the same time as well as selling books. And um, hopefully that material will be uh, with you in the form of a podcast. Now, it might be a main episode on this feed here, or it might be a member-only episode, depending on how much usable material there is. There's going to be a lot that isn't very usable. So if you want to sign up 
for uh, membership of this podcast you can do so at pod.fan for five pounds a month you can get full membership to such additional material as the member only episode which you know the bop thing might go out on and uh, we also do a thing called photo book focus which is tonight actually the photo book focus i'm recording this on tuesday so by the time you listen to this we'll have done it and we've got max Mikowski coming on to talk about his new book with witty books called land loss so max is going to be uh there for the members later and uh, if you want access to that special exclusive material yes sign up at pod.fan it's only five pounds a month you can also access the archive of this podcast of which there are 150 160 episodes and that also is on a member only feed but that's only three pounds a month to access the archive if you don't want the other member benefits if you want the whole caboodle which i would recommend uh, it's only five quid a month for both the archive and membership. Anyway, that's my little spiel. I, I do apologise, but, you know, I've got to tell you about that stuff. In fact, it's very important. I don't know why I'm apologising. OK, so, yes, I did sell some books at BOP. It was fun. It was incredibly tiring. We also, of course, had the quiz, which uh, was the Santa, Santa Books quiz and is now just the BOP quiz. Uh, for reasons that may be controversial, but I will kind of stay out of that. Um, will I? Yeah, I will. <laughs> I will. Um, and of course, as I, I think mentioned on Instagram, we, uh, my team, I say my team, the team that I am fortunate enough to be affiliated with, um, we went back to sort of properly crush the competition because last year we were joint winners. Um, and that was only because like we didn't really care too much about it um and this year quite rightly we were complete outright total winners completely destroyed all comers and um that was largely due to uh, the considerable photographic knowledge of aaron schumann and mark power i have to say although there were five of us in the team there may have been six although there's meant to be five so we'll say it was five um well it was five the sixth person was probably me actually i don't think i really got involved but anyway, it was all good fun. And we won, of course. So this episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Capture One Pro, which, as you know, is a professional photo editing software for every photographer, which allows you to shoot, edit and collaborate wherever you find yourself from the most controlled studio environment to the unpredictability of the open road. So thanks to Capture One for sponsoring the recent uh, pop up exhibition and party for the one million downloads. And Capture One um, continue to be a great supporter of A Small Voice. So go and have a look at their website. And in, if you are a user of the other famous imaging software, you might want to explore Capture One because they have a huge number of very innovative and cool features available. And you can get a free 30-day trial and an exclusive 20% discount on your first year subscription if you go to captureone.co slash a small voice 23 that's capital a capital s capital v and the number 23 for the party they did a very special promotion uh got some flyers organized for the people who were there in person and they are offering three free months capture one account so you can try it out for a really extended period of time exclusive to my listeners to celebrate the one million downloads now obviously if you weren't there i've sent that out on the newsletter that uh the qr code for that offer so all of you who sign up for the newsletter 
should have received that by now. If you don't sign up for the newsletter, then I don't know why you don't, because you, you should really, because then you get all the information on what's coming out on the podcast. That's at the website, benswithphoto.com on the small voice page and uh, if you're interested in a three-month capture one trial um, ping me an email at ben at com, and i will send you the qr code which is exclusive to small voice listeners this episode of small voice is also brought to you by pip time also who i must thank for helping to sponsor the party and exhibition they didn't actually have any promotional material there at the time but lovely pip time have also financially contributed to you know the funding of that or the cost of that event uh, lab costs and all that sort of thing so thank you to pick time pick time is of course the online gallery platform uh, for sharing and um, organizing your images they have a blogging feature they're innovating the digital space between photographers and their clients as they put it by providing all the tools you need to make sales engage with your customers and tell your story and uh, you can go yourself to pick-time.com and try it yourself free for 30 days by signing up for the trial period, pick-time.com. And the code is a small voice, uh, all one word, lowercase. So you can get an exclusive bonus month when you upgrade to any pick time paid plan, pick-time.com. So I'm going to introduce Luca in a second. Um, I went to Turin to the Gallery d'Italia where Luca's show, The Circle, is currently on and it was wonderful to get to see it. We had a little walk round after I'd had the chat. So it was a flying visit and um, everything had to happen very quickly. Um, I would like to do a little mention, a little thank you to Vanessa Saraceno who helped smooth the whole process and uh, make everything work because uh, she was brilliant and it was something that uh, required a certain amount of um, uh, organisation for it to actually work and it did and it was brilliant and uh, me and uh, Luca chatted there before I had a look at the show so I hadn't seen um, the thing and then I had a walk around with Luca and he talked about some of the images and you know sort of gave you the listeners uh, a little kind of insight into the show but again that will be member only content and that will go out on the member only feed so you know, I want you all to know yeah the stuff that goes out on there is really good material it ain't just kind of thrown together so anyway it was lovely to have Lucas sort of talk about some of the images and some of the issues and the whole chat really we talked about mainly the issues that he uh, is interested in and that his work uh, is concerned with. So, Gallery d'Italia is a fantastic space and the exhibition was curated by Elisa Mede, who I think did a fantastic job. And um, if you do get a chance to go over there, it's on until February of 24. So, yeah, maybe you might get to see it. But otherwise... There is a book uh, or sort of catalogue that goes with it. And um, yeah, if you go to Luca's Instagram feed or indeed his website, uh, Luca Locatelli, you can find it. Um, Links in the show notes on the website, of course, as usual, bensmithphoto.com slash a small voice. All the relevant links and information there in the show notes. 
The show also features amazing data visualization by, what would you call her, um, a data visualization designer. And that's Federica Fragapane, who, you know, is one of the best in the world at what she does. And those are amazing. But anyway, let's do one more ad and then I'll get to Luca's bio. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Charcoal Editions, the newest project of the Charcoal Book Club. And as you know, this is a curated online gallery which sells open edition silver gelatin prints. So as you probably know, the whole point of Charcoal Editions is you know, it gives you an opportunity to acquire lovely silver gelatin prints that might only otherwise be financially accessible to collectors and institutions. It's all based on the premise that editioning photographic prints is kind of a, a, an invention. It's a fabrication uh, of galleries and dealers, which, uh, you know, was put in place to increase scarcity and drive up prices, which, of course, as photographers, you know, we do uh, get to benefit from, I suppose. But this is a little bit more of a equitable division between artist, printer and gallery. And uh, you get a beautiful silver gelatin print handmade uh, by Sergio Patel and the people at Black and White on White in Brooklyn. So you go to charcoaleditions.com and have a look at some of the prints that are available over there, charcoaleditions.com, where they have adopted the motto of Black and White on White, the lab, um, which is beauty over scarcity. So, Italian photographer Luca Locatelli describes himself as an environmental visual storyteller. For more than a decade, Luca has aimed to open a debate about the environment and our future with his work by synergizing art, science and journalism to explore the world's most promising solutions to the climate crisis. As an artist, Luca is concerned with trying to translate complex scientific data into visually engaging images and distribute them on social networks, in publications and at events. His work has been published in international media such as National Geographic, The New York Times and Time, has also been displayed in prominent global venues including the Guggenheim Museum of New York, the Shanghai Centre of Photography and others. In addition, for over two years, Luca has been working on a significant and immersive cultural project about the circular economy with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, uh, which is now an exhibition entitled The Circle at Gallery d'Italia Museum of Turin, Italy, until February 2024. Since 2004, Luca has been a founding partner of a non-governmental association that contributes to protect 600,000 hectares of tropical forest in the Amazon. And I just realised, I forgot to mention in there, there's also the matter of a couple of World Press Awards, first prize and second prize over the last few years, and an Oscar Barnack Award. So um, I will add that to the bio in the show notes. But uh, yeah, that's Luca. We had a really lovely chat. Um, What a fascinating bloke. He really knows his subject. You know, he's so immersed in it. He's so passionate about it. You can tell, I think, when you hear him talk. And he was a real font of wisdom on this. Um, So if you're interested in environmentalism and you're interested in the circular economy, which frankly we all should be, then I hope you enjoy this chat with Luca Locatelli. Here we are in in Gallery d'Italia. You've got this huge show with the circle. You've got a couple of World Press Awards under your belt. You've got the uh, Oscar Barnack under your belt. And you haven't really been doing photography for all that long you're making it look easy Luca does it feel like you know it's been a bit of a ride yeah 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 it's, you know even for me it's just like uh, surprising yeah because um, when I started photography uh, I was not that young I mean I was like 36 
back in 2006 and um, I was developing software that was my my job so uh, and I love always love the environment and traveling and then once I got let's say stuck in an experience in the Amazon forest which has changed completely my life because I was I was on a boat in the middle of nowhere, uh, stressed out about having a company developing software, uh, and 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 it was you know I had the feeling I was losing myself my my spirit. So I decided to make a travel a bit extreme, and I was in the middle and I just bought a camera and twenty rolls film rolls. And I was in the middle of, of a river in this public boat with a couple of photographers on assignment. And, uh, you know, I was at the stage of photography where I tried, tried to understand what is the, the method of, of taking good pictures. Uh, but I was really a beginner. And, and these guys, they were paying for, you know, uh, having uh, uh, spaces in magazines and stuff like that. And... I felt something about photography uh, immediately. It was um, uh, an immediate connection, totally irrational, you know, when, when there's no sense. You have, you have a company, you have a profile, you have people that you are responsible for working for you. You are doing projects with, with developing software and you fall in love with something else. Yeah. And, and so when I came back from the Amazon, my, my thought was just like how I can get back there and continue to develop myself as a photographer and especially an environmentalist to help people there to protect the forest. So I fall in love with the place itself. And, uh, and I did it. I mean, I just left the company uh, creating mess. And, uh, and then I, I, I came back there and I, I tried to help people there with, with the power of photography. But, you know, my photography that time was not so good. So I was like functional for their communication. And after, after that, we actually, with a group of friends, uh, we get so much involved. We have been to a notary and opened as, an association, um, which is now preserving 600 hectares of virgin forest and is a role model of sustainable development, not thanks to me, but thanks to the, uh, a woman where she's, she's a real hero of the association. Mm. And, um, and then uh, from there, I start to develop uh, the idea of engage myself with, with photography and the environment, mm. and especially on creating stories that are showing how we can solve things because of my attitude in life. Mm -hmm. So the environmentalism was always there right from the beginning with the photography. Those things were like hand in hand from the start. So why, what took you to the Amazon? Why that, that place? Is that because you were interested in, in environmentalism or you just wanted an extreme experience? Yeah. Um, at the beginning, I was, you know, just having a dream of, you know, being in the middle of the Amazon forest. And I thought that place was, you know, complicated and um, not easy uh, for people. And when, when I, I was there, actually I realized that is the closest thing I can imagine 
uh, to the paradise. Mm. It's you are immersed in real nature and you have, you know, waking up in the morning, going helping the Carlitos, the fishermen, um, and the fishing with dolphins, the pink dolphins, uh, close to you, uh, in your, uh, close to your canoe, having uh, big uh, parrots flying over your head, uh, and, uh, and of course dangerous things as well, um, but it, it, it was really, you know, uh, imp impressive for me mm -hmm. and for the people uh, are actually visiting that place. And um, so it was a blast actually of of the environment the power of nature and the beautiness and the mystery and all these kind of things that i i was also in a moment where i need to move my brain forward mm. so there's like a of coincidence aligning planets having a camera being in the nature being bored of what you are doing you know and that was Boom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's an incredible kind of confluence of circumstances. I mean, the fact that you were, were with th these photographers, was that just a coincidence? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of chance there that's just basically totally changed your, your life, basically. Completely. Yeah, Completely. incredible. And you, you were, ba you were a, a tech person, really. You were web developing or coding or... I, I was coding. Yeah. I mean, my, I, I've started... Um, ICT, so I was actually coding myself, and uh, I, I really love that. Mm. I really love coding, and but there is uh, some yeah. creativity in that. Oh, so much for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah. I guess you you were maybe there was like yeah you must have there must have been some frustration, creative frustration. Had you had any? you know, kind of experience in uh, growing up, even as a kid, were you interested in more artistic? pursuits yeah my when i was a kid i was interested on 70s music yeah <laughs> and okay. i was you know in the 80s so everyone was listening to other kind of music yeah. and i was a bit of a nerd right. so i like to coding myself with the commodore 64 you know yeah. of vic 20 and um, and i like uh, i really love uh painting so i always like um Still, I'm doing painting for myself. Yeah. So, but I didn't have any consciousness of the potential of all these kind of things. I was just a kid. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, now it's 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 much clearer. Now it's much clearer. Yeah. But you know, when you came back from from that trip, it was almost like it, it was a kind of lightning bolt moment because you had to, like, you know, I think if you have to change direction and you're it's just you, that's kind of are much easier than like you say you had a company and people were working for you that's quite a lot to, to you know to be responsible for those people you know uh, um, are relying on you know you, yeah. you know a salary and so that must have been quite scary in a way or, or was it just kind of that you kind of had to had to do it it was uh, no choice in the matter kind of thing you know it's it's like when you have a to use a metaphor, you have a relationship which is working. Yeah. There's nothing wrong about it. And you fall in love with someone else, yeah. you know. It's not something that you can hold. There's no, that's, that's nature inside of it driving you through the process. And uh, so when I came back from the Amazon, it took me like a couple of years before 
making an auto-declaration, like, I'm a photographer, whatever, yeah. you know. And in that, in that period of time, I've, I've tried my best to keep going with both things, and I was doing both things uh, wrong. So in, 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 uh, in, it was very difficult to keep going uh, with those responsibilities and, um, mm. and being a photographer or trying to be a photographer. And so in one point, I just decided to talk with people and they were like um, loving me. And they actually helped me at the beginning of my career because I just gave them the company. Mm. And, uh, and I say, like, can you just give me some money every month so I can, you know, try to travel and try to make this happen? And they were just like, not only that we can do, you know, we are here. If this is a failure, then you can come back here and we work together again. So mm-hmm. that was maybe very important step for me to, yeah, to it have the greatness. The freed- and it gave you some freedom there exactly. to, to pursue it, yeah, yeah, which is really important. But when you say you're doing both things wrong, you're saying that you had to kind of, it's like you're trying to chase two rabbits, as, I, as someone exactly. uh, said to me once, yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. I but mean, basically I was um, in front of a picture of any kind and trying to learn Photoshop, while there was the phone ringing with clients angry because I was not delivering. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a kind of, yeah, that's a lose-lose situation. Yeah. But do, do you think that the skills that you had learned from running a business, do you think you've been able to use some of those in managing your photography career? Because this comes up a lot, you know, that artists are terrible at the career stuff. You know, they're terrible at the money stuff. They're terrible at the to some extent, to the self-promotion stuff, you know, yeah. the marketing of themselves, you know, as a brand kind of thing. Have you, have you sort of found that, you know, you kind of were able to, to employ some of the stuff that you'd picked up from r- kind of running a business, basically? Yeah, M- much later than the beginning. Yeah. Because at the beginning, I was imposing myself as a businessman in photography, and I didn't have any skill of creating good images. So first of all, I got lost for more or less 10 years, eight years, to try to build myself as an artist. And so you have to change, uh, shift the mentality of being a businessman and, 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 and trying to you know, achieve something else, transform yourself. And then, uh, after that, when I started to create some ige- images that were appreciated in the editorial market, then uh, uh, all the knowledge I had before, especially on coding, um, came back and helped me to de- develop myself in the photography business um, quite easier than other photographers. And I'm helping a lot of friends on giving advice, you know, because coding is about logic. So you, I always, you know, uh, get a white piece of paper and, you know, doing uh, workflow. Mm. And, uh, and that's the way also I choose the story, I build the story, and I try to develop a project. 
And of course, that was really helpful to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but first of all, I needed to create myself as a photographer. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so what, obviously, you, you sort of, you're self-taught, you know, what were your, what were your starting points? Did you go and become obsessed with looking at photography and, you know, reading photo books and stuff? Or, you know, were you inspired by certain people? <laughs> uh, that's a good question because at the beginning um, it was a so stupidly it was just about lenses and gears you know yeah, yeah <laughs> so fair I, I well, actually you have to know how to yeah, work I, a camera yeah, yeah. I, I thought like if you have a good instruments you know you can take a good picture and so I sold my, my car and I bought, you know, a full set of lenses, those kind of things. And then I, I realized there was nothing there. You yeah. know? And, uh, and, and then uh, um, the images were not good at all. Mm. And then I fall in love with uh, other photographers' work and I start to understand more about the feeling of seeing something that you like you love you know and you, you, it's, it's, it's actually giving you something looking a picture that oh my god oh, it's so good it's so intense it's so compelling and then I sold all the gears again and I bought a lot of books and uh, study photography through workshop and and many other things most of all books which I'm, I'm still a a collector so uh, and, and, and I like to open the books around myself and look at them turning pages uh, and when I feel great I always stand up and try to see other photographers great photographers and understand that come down you just come back to work you know because yeah because uh, yeah. it's sort of about un trying to understand when you're looking at that work is you're trying to understand Okay, so I have a camera, they have a camera. This picture is terrible. This picture is amazing. Like, how, why is that? Like, what's, you know, it's trying to figure out yeah. what that's about. Because, you know, if it's a painting or something, you know, I mean, yeah. you're into painting. Like, if you see a Caravaggio or something, yeah. it's like, well, I can understand that I'll never be able to do that. But with, yeah. a, with a camera, you're just, you know, you are just pointing it and pressing a button. So it's that process is the same. And yet, yeah. you know, you look at uh, yeah. whoever, like, you know, Salgado or whatever. So that's, that's yeah, that's yeah, a process yeah. you were in. But then what do you think were the kind of big breaks, as it were, in terms of, you know, your actual working life, your career? Because you established relationships with the New York Times, with Kathy Ryan, I think, and then Nat Geo came eventually. Maybe that was a bit further down the yeah. road. But what were, the, were those, what were the big breaks kind of thing? At the beginning, I mean, when uh, after uh, a while, I've started to um, try to find stories, unseen stories. So the first thing for me was developing my sense of journalism and uh, I discovered to have a talent on that uh, because I was you know trying to visit editorial uh, photo editors and and I always like being able to surprise them with good stories sometimes I was I wasn't good as a photographer so some of them, they say, like, do you mind if we assign this story to another photographer? Oh, right, right. 
So yeah, and it happened. Right. It happened. Yeah. That's really interesting. So your journalistic instincts were really good. Yeah. It's just your actual photography skills weren't quite at the same exactly, level. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And um, and that I think it's about curiosity. Yeah. It might be. I don't have an explanation for that because still is is actually happening even in this exhibition to find incredible stories. I have a sort of radar, you know. I think, and 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 so when I I align myself as a photographer with um, with, um, uh, with 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 good stories, uh, I've started to have some some success. So yeah. starting to. Um, developed myself in Italy, and then I, I I've been to to London, to France, and then I still remember the first time I pitched uh, my first story to Katy, and uh, and that was amazing because the story was incredible, and I didn't have anyone understanding the story here in Europe, and uh, I you know Katy is uh, is Katy Ryan, so mm. it's like. Uh, so incredible, yeah. and um, and I wrote a, um, an email during a night, and after six hours I was on the phone with her. So she picked the story immediately, and she assigned me the story uh, without doubts. Okay, and so and from there my my flame has really started, and uh, and I've been able to develop um, myself outside Europe in and uh, and yeah. Yeah. And rolling, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the f- the project that kind of, I think, I suppose, this this new project circle, the circle, comes from is, is future studies, or that's what it began as. Um, so how did you become interested in, in that topic? I mean, obviously, you were already interested in the environmentalism thing. But future studies is what it sort of started with. Yeah. After... I I've started to shoot stories for the editorial market that I've pitched or they pitched to me. We did some incredible story with the New York Times in Mecca and and other things. Uh, I was a pitching machine. I was going around and having you know many proposals. And then in one point, I came back to the Amazon as one of the stories I've pitched to. Um, uh, in France, and rea- I realized that I was uh, I wasn't happy anymore on shooting whatever story, and uh, and I was missing the point of you know um, trying to develop me not as a photographer but as an author. So what I have to say um, in the world, you know. Uh, now I know more or less how to take pictures. But where, where is my interest? I was hating to see trees around myself and shooting mm, double pages, good pictures, you know. So um, in, in that point, once again in the Amazon, uh, I realized that I have to engage myself on my real passion, which was technology and the good application of technology for fighting the so-called climate crisis at that time. And uh, so I, I actually put myself on that, on that track and I found uh, Singapore as a very interesting subject. And I, I've been there, 
the Singapore uh, Tourism Board helped me with accommodation because it's very expensive and flights because I was already, you know, having a profile with New York Times and stuff. And I did my first story back in 2012, mm. 2011, 2012, um, on uh, good practices, you know. This is a city that has believed that greenery is not only a good idea for life, but it's a good idea for business. And uh, coming back to Mr. Lee Kuan Yew, which, uh, which was the founder of Singapore. And I dig so much in that. I came back many times. And uh, I built my first story, uh, which was um, visually, I was so much interested on that. So when I was in front of this kind of well-applied technology, uh, like the super trees or the dome that they were like under construction that time, I had the feeling that I was shooting something that belongs to me. I don't know how to, how to express yeah. more than this. Like, I was so happy, I was so excited, I was so afraid to make it wrong. And in, in the other hand, uh, in some stories I was doing before, I just got it, you know. I know that, oh, yeah, this, I put it here, it's working, you know. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, you found your subject. Yeah. It all came together in a way, you know. Yeah, you had, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. the piece of the puzzle that was missing in a way, you know. Yeah. And then you've, yeah. And, and that was it, you know. And then that's really, you've been working on that topic, really, ever since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you did, um, you focused on food, um, and you won a, you got the world press. That was your first world press. I think you got the second prize for that one, um, Hunger Solutions, yeah. and and, uh, and that was 2018. And I mean, yeah, there's a, f- a really shocking uh, statistic, which um, is that the planet must produce more food in the next four decades than all farmers in history have yeah. harvested over the past 8,000 years, which is astonishing. And I, and I checked this, and it was, that was from a World Wildlife Fund report called Living Planet, which um, is not new. It was a, about 10 years ago, I yeah. think, now. So, you know, we can... I don't know... I mean, that I think WWF are pretty reliable uh, source, so I think we can give it credibility. But um, yeah, what did you learn about that, about the topic of food and, and food waste? And, you know, is, are there solutions, do you think, that are possible for that problem? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the story in the Netherlands was really surprising coming from National Geographic. Uh, and... Um, it was an incredible journey, um, 60 days of work on the ground, talking with, with any kind of people on the food industry. And uh, I realized that, I mean, it, it, it's, it's such a complicated equation because we are growing, as you said, as a population. Mm. And the point is how we can produce more food with less territory and less impact on the planet. Yeah. And technology is probably the only filter we have to to create that. So, and um, I've learned that the biggest problem we have, one of the biggest problem we have on the planet, and I've learned in that story, is the culture of of solution, the culture of change. Because we we have some incredible um, and reliable example on the planet 
like uh, agrofarm technology, vertical farming, and, and many others. And in the Netherlands, since they are really advanced, they are like since 30 years ago, they have started this journey to reach this high level technology nowadays. And, uh, but in the rest of the world, no one wanna buy mm. uh, tomatoes grow, grown in, a, in, a, in, a, in a su such an environment, you know? So, and um, the problem is actually, and, and we are buying because actually the Netherlands is actually selling to all Germany, Italy and yeah. stuff, the tomatoes grown there, but yeah. no well, one knows. You cannot communicate that was inside this farm. I wanted to say for the listeners, because you're talking about the Netherlands and they might think, what, you know, why is that significant? But the Netherlands is the second biggest exporter of food after the USA in the world. In the world. Which is an incredible statistic for such a kind of relatively small country. But that's why the Netherlands is a very important country for, for that topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because they, they don't have much. 60% of the country actually should not exist. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Uh, with so lack of resources, they have to optimize every single process and they became champion and then they took over the market in food production and food import and export. And so, and we know them, I mean, they are incredible uh, traders. Uh, so all this combination make them huge. But, um, yeah, especially in the Netherlands, they are so advanced that are capable of creating models that can be exported around the world. So when I was there, I saw many entrepreneurs from Pakistan, Africa, uh, Italy, um, coming to buy the technology of growing food uh, uh, in in uh, in other countries, and and they were not like environmentalists. I, I remember I, I I shot some interviews like this. Pakistan guy is one of the um, leader of the textile industry in Pakistan, which is huge and has a lot of you know money to spend. And he just thought that growing tomato inside this country was a good idea of making some good business. So, yeah, yeah. and he bought all the technology from the Netherlands and exporting there, and now is doing. Uh, is running a 10 hectares greenhouse in Pakistan. Mm. And he's, he's actually creating a lot of money, of course, mm. but he's also, uh, also um, solving a big problem because right. Pakistan doesn't have tomatoes. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and, and that, that was uh, a big step for me to understand the power of um, well-applied technology hmm. uh, inside inside the climate equation. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, te technology is the kind of thing that got us into this mess. And also it's yeah. now the thing that's going to get us out of it, if anything does, which is kind of a, hot, a, a weird kind of cognitive dissonance because, um, you know, the, the mechanization of the food industry or the industrialization of the food industry, the, the industrial revolution itself was all about, you know, the technology. And now that's really fucked us you know yeah. so we now have to rely yeah. on technology to try yeah. and get us out but this all all sort of leads into the work you've done on on the circle um but before we talk about that this your process is i mean obviously you love the research and all that you're like you say it's kind of a journalistic instinct you have so like when you 
you research these stories extensively. Do you more or less know what the picture is before you even go to these places to that to that extent? Like you know, you know what the key image is going to be almost. Mm, nowadays, uh, I will say like yes. Mm. In the past, not so much, but. Now I have uh, a method, artistic method, artistic vision. So I'm able, especially uh, the research and the pre-production is huge, so I'm always asking uh, to a possible, a potential subject to share every kind of pictures. And, you know, once again, technology is a is helping because we can FaceTime each other, you know. Yeah. And and can you show me what, what what I can see here, you know? And 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 they actually very happy to do that. And uh, and basically there are few things that um, I can uh, imagine and uh, make me feel like okay, this this is good. This this is a good one. Let's let's go there with few ideas in mind but when you when you are there you are there so yeah so yeah. if yeah something interesting comes yeah, along and it's it's never really matching what i had in mind at the beginning yeah sometimes they share me pictures of their corporate photographers and i was like oh my god if i can do exactly the same picture i'm so happy you know right yeah and um it's good and uh, and then when you go there there's another point of view or things that you are able to discover only when yeah, you are on the and you're ground. kind of yeah. open to, to chance yeah. or whatever I mean there's a there's a picture of um, there's a place an insect farm basically right in the middle of London somewhere which was am yeah. amazing to me yeah. I was like wow it's you know this incredible these incredible tech places that are kind of hidden away in their own little world and then there was a very interesting you know image that you taken there of um, someone you know with a mask yeah. on in this kind of yeah massive of insects and um yeah i mean that that just struck me because i was thinking that's right on my doorstep there's all these amazing little places but they're very are these places the exception to the rule are they are they just a drop in the ocean in terms of this kind of problem that we're facing with climate and with um a, a kind of well we should talk about the circle economy because that's what you're you're base you're basing that your story is about, and I have to admit this was a, an expression that I had not heard until quite recently. Mm. Um, this idea of circularity it just it didn't um, wasn't something that I I was aware of, which is a kind of a bit shocking. But I wanted to we could define it. Let's let's define it. The circular economy is defined by the European Union as a production and consumption model that involves sharing, lending, reusing, repairing, reconditioning and recycling existing materials and products for as long as possible. So, you know, that's the essence of it. And that's the one thing that we haven't been doing for the yeah. last 50 years, at least, I would say. Yeah. Um, so how how did you yeah how did this become the the focus this this thing the circle economy did it was it a natural kind of stepping off point from where you'd been before with the food production and that kind of yeah thing? yeah um, I w while I was on the ground in 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 Germany I was covering a story about the energy transition in Germany and I was like stuck on this on this uh, uh, amusement uh, park. Uh, inside a former uh, nuclear power plant, 
Um, and they said like, yeah, this is, um, has been financed for as a circular economy. And it was my first time back in 2014. It was my first time to hear about circular economy. And then in the Netherlands, when I did the story Hunger Solution, if you are not part of the circular economy system, you are no one as an innovator. Mm. So immediately I felt like, oh my God, this is a model which is not only considering technology above everything and bringing a new kind of linearity, you know, producing, 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 but is actually not wasting. And, uh, and I, you know, I fall in love coming back to my env environmentalism and, uh, and my notion about nature uh, that where ev everything is actually uh, a resource. There's no, there's no waste in nature. And, and that's the way we, we are living. It's um, against the nature rules, no? And so I actually discover more and I pitch immediately a story to National Geographic um, about circular economy. And it took like a few years before uh, I got a green light and start researches. And then I, I've started to develop content based on circular economy. And we did a, this huge story, it was called The End of Trash. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and we have traveled in Europe and America uh, to discover the most promising example of circular economy and stuff. Yeah. And, and um, you, you got the World Press. Yeah, yeah. Press and that, uh, that, that, that was really um, a big add on, on my uh, profile because I, I got a second. I, I love the idea that I want a WordPress photo with the story that was ending, the title was ending in solutions, you know? Yeah. So that, that was really incredible for me because, you know, WordPress photo is actually awarding a lot of uh, dramas. And so that was um, a big turning point. Mm -hmm. and, and, then the, and then the COVID has hit it in 2020 when I won the WordPress photo, the World Photography Organization, like Oscar Barnack Award, you know, and I was in lockdown. And, uh, and there, I think COVID has played a role on developing myself in this, in this, in this idea of uh, circularity. Okay, how, uh, how so? Because, I mean, first of all, we were all uh, stopped, you know, no one is, is and, and I was coming from a period of, of, of my life, five years more or less, where I was always on a flight on assignment for National Geographic most of the time or other medias. And, uh, and I, w when you are in that kind of stage, you are continuing producing contents, and, but you don't have the time to deeply think of what you are doing and why you are doing, what are the connecting dots, you know, of all your work. So that I, I, I just got the, 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 the occasion during COVID, I put up a team, editors, designer, uh, I, I was doing well with budget, so I spent some money and uh, I re-edit all my work and I've created future studies and I got the occasion to say like, 
okay, let's do, you know, the Leica Oscar Barnack Award. Let's make it like this is the goal, you know. And so let's find a title. Let's find, let's have a white paper in front of me and writing the concept. Mm. And it took like forever before I can read something that makes sense, you know. Because it's so difficult, actually, when you write something that uh, has to be honest, has to be yeah. uh, expressing what you have in mind. But and you so deliberately much. set out to kind of target that award. So you're very goal-driven like that, then? Like, you're kind of quite organized. I'm a kind yeah. of deadline guy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, you, you're not really... Li- it's interesting, because a lot of, you know, photographers, creatives, they don't, they're not very good at being goal-driven in a way it's quite mm. alien to the creative process but it's like it sounds like you're like you've got that aspect to your yourself you know it's like yeah let's let's go for this let's go for the oscar barnack or whatever that worked <laughs> yeah that was surprisingly work and actually you know um i i mean what there are so many other goals i haven't achieved you know mm-hmm. so but that's my way of um, creating enthusiasm on myself and in all the team I'm working with uh, to have a big goal in front of you right. and just like let's go for it guys so let's do this right have yeah. a big ambitious goal yeah yeah and and and, uh, and uh, it helps it helps because maybe there's other way that's my nature mm. and um, and I like you know to wake up early in the morning and making a to-do list and go through it I really uh, I'm, I'm an art worker actually I, I'm not the kind of artist that uh, you know I, I take my time organize uh, to I have my uh, think week as Bill Gates yeah <laughs> <laughs> where I disappear for one week and I just think Interesting. You know? is, so that, is, I, that, uh, is that an idea you stole from Bill Gates? Yeah. Yeah, okay. okay. That's interesting. <laughs> because, yeah, I saw a documentary about him and said, oh my God. Actually, he's flying on a lake. He's doing much yeah, better than that, myself. Actually. Yeah, That's a really and, good show. Yeah, the just Netflix go, you know, show. on the wood with the bicycle and, uh, and think. Sometimes think, I yeah. like to do that. Because otherwise, you know, we don't, we don't have... But there's no bandwidth to, to think about these things because yeah. we're all just got this in constant exactly. incoming. But... Um, it's funny you were talking about you know flying here or there and everywhere and when you when you work on in environmental stories then you have to think about your own carbon footprint suddenly you know and I was wondering about how you, your own kind of life has has been impacted by you know this kind of uh, interest in the circular economy like what what changes have you kind of made to, to things to your the way you do things it's it's very difficult to um, to have a total currency on 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 the on the ground, you know. Uh, I I try my best all the time. I I I'm, I'm actually biking. I I don't use car much. I use trains. I don't like flying so much, mm. and when I do, it's because there's no other way. Yeah. And uh, this, as my nature, I actually, I have the same pair of jeans since 10 years, mm. because I'm not interested on consumerism, yeah. and I, I love to wear myself like this jacket I have, it was marble. Uh-huh. And I love the idea that 
transforming things. I like to teach to my kids to uh, transform old, old, old toys in, in something else. And of course, uh, about throwing plastic somewhere. Uh, some, I'm, I'm destroying packaging myself, you know, to separate things. So, but that's not because I have to do because of my profession. Mm. Um, it's because when you dig into the culture and, and you understand more about the problems we have, um, you cannot ignore. No, exactly. And when you, when you do it, you don't feel well, but at least you know that you are actually doing something wrong. And, uh, and the feeling is different because... Um, well, yeah, we feel there should be some guilt there. I think we should yeah. all feel... It's like I, I kind of got interested in this because I, I suddenly got in more interested in clothes in my old age for some reason. So, like, when you start getting interested in clothes, you start getting interested in how they're made. And that's a really interesting th- thing. And, you know, I'd like, I used to go to Primark yeah. <laughs> and, and buy T-shirts, like, yeah. and they're, like, three quid, like, three euros or something. And they're great T-shirts. They yeah. fit great. They look great. I was like, this is win-win because when this gets crappy, I'll throw it away and, get, yeah. and buy a new one. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's disposable. And then I was like, no, but how can they afford to make a T-shirt that only costs me three quid? And yeah. you start to wonder about that. And then you realize I'm really not <laughs> you know, contributing here. So now I realize a, a decent T-shirt is like 30, 40 quid. Yeah. It's quite a lot of money for a T-shirt. Yeah. Right. This one now I, I paid 30 quid for and I'm like, I'm going to look after this T-shirt and I'm not going to throw it away. Exactly. So, you know, it's like a really small example. But you, you looked at the textile industry and that kind of thing. That's quite a big uh, bad guy in, in, in the kind of environmental. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, fashion is one of the most comprehensible problem we have because uh, everyone is involved. And um, it's incredible to think that uh, with fast fashion, the acceleration of the, of, of, of the impact of fashion jumped from 5% to 20 in the last 30 years. And that's only because we have this convenience store that make us happy for a few days, you know? And, um, and, 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 and the problem is even not that are cheap, actually, but the problem is that we throw them away so quickly. Because if you buy a, a cheap T-shirt, there's nothing wrong, okay? But just, just keep it for as long as you can. Right, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 You, could, you could just keep it, you, actually. You, they, you could they just keep it, you know? Reasonably you can, well. You could repair. You, you, you could do that, you know, instead of... I don't like it anymore. But I think that's the easiest example to understand about linearity, where, you know, we we just get uh, um, what we need from the planet as a warehouse, we create products, and then we throw them away as soon as we are bored of of, Mm. of them. And and, and the, the, the bad things of linearity is that we need to create uh, as more as possible in order to to sell you know so we the business is based on how much products we sell yeah you know and the business uh, relies on the fact yeah. that we have to throw things away exactly yeah. 
exactly. So it's part of the of the system, and uh, we we haven't considered the consequences. Yeah. And now we. So we, we yeah. as consumers, all we have to do is stop buying shit, basically. You know, and uh, to some extent, as much as we can. I think. I mean, on my experience, especially um, with the circle, is that we have to stop. Um, thinking that the planet is a warehouse mm. where we can get everything we need without make nature able to regenerate them, uh, itself, you know. Yeah. So that's the first big problem. So we crossed the, the line um, on, uh, on how the planet can regenerate itself enough to give us what we need. And, 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 and it's absurd because it's not something that we have done uh, f- 50 or 70 years ago, you mm. know. It's just like we have to get inspired by the past yeah. because we were not throwing away anything, you know. Our grandfather or grand-grandfather for younger generation, they were able to repair to reuse and recycle mm-hmm. as the circular economy is doing now. That and there was no such was name, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we have to invent a new name now, which is circular economy, uh, to create a brand, to educate people to do something that we were doing for so long time. Yeah. But here's a thing that I thought about. In developing countries, where they have been doing that for a long time. Like if you go to, I mean, I haven't been to India, for instance, for 25 years, but I think even probably now, if you go to countries like that, you'll see the circular economy in action. It's just they've never really moved away from that. But I'm thinking now, with those kind of developing countries where, you know, kind of the, the linear economy is almost a kind of measure of affluence. So they're kind of, in those kind of countries, I'm wondering if, that's the problem because they're thinking, well, now, you know, we're, we're kind of, we've got a bit of money now, you know. And so, you know, consumption uh, is, you know, yeah, is something that they are aspiring to in a way. And I'm like, mm, that's going to be a problem, right? For in China and in India and in those countries with huge populations, they're going to have a different attitude towards it in a sense. Do you think that might be true? I, I'm just wondering. On, on my research, actually, they're doing much better than us. Okay, that's good, that's good to know. <laughs> um, because especially China, for example, has embarked on a great um, transition of, on, on creating energy, especially with solar panels, and no one is talking about it, you know. But aren't they building, like, coal power stations yeah, as well? Yeah, because mm. it's such a huge country... Um, that uh, they cannot actually solve all the problems w- they have with 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 the new technologies, but they have a clear target in mind, and they are using coal mining in certain areas, as Germany is doing actually, mm. you know, because that's that's the truth, mm. and uh, and uh, but they are on a transition, and uh, and. And, and, and it's huge. And in circular economy also, they are uh, doing so great stuff in, in China, in South Korea, 
in 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 India, in India, it, it's incredible. The solar technology has landed so widely. They are covering entire airports and mountains, and you know. And then there will be another problem. That's uh, are we gonna, you know, uh, reuse the solar panels we are putting on mm. the ground now? But that's the loop we are into as a humanity. You know, it's like the last solution. But um, I think and in Africa, for example, they are, um, the, the, the circular innovators is a huge movement, and in one of the story I would like to do in the future. And it's, it's really like the future is looking more like the past, you know, because they are so good on recycling everything mm. and repairing everything that now they are defining themselves as innovators because it's trendy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, the big, the big problem we have actually in the world is United States of America. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that is the linear economy applied at the maximum level. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they are, no? they're the, the masters at, at that. Yeah, it's a very wasteful yeah place so and and we are so good always to point on someone else yeah exactly and you know we have to be pragmatic we have to live in the real world but i always come back to this idea of you know the experts keep saying you know it's not too late it's not too late you know it's not too late we can still pull it back and i'm like but how are we going to do that? Like, what's your level of optimism as someone who's really yeah. Im immersed in, in this? Like, I, think I, I, I don't know if you have yeah. kids yourself and all yeah. that because we think about... That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you, obviously, you don't have to have kids to worry about yeah. the future. Let's, put, let's be clear yeah. about that. You know, I'm not yeah. suggesting that, but obviously, you think about it more when you do um, because they are the future. And, and exactly. you think, what kind of world are we going to leave? Uh, That's the point. Mm. I mean, I actually believe that our generation and the generation before us, which is leading the world nowadays, um, is able to apply a certain kind of things, which is making money on a, on a system based on consumerism. And uh, what we can do is eventually trying to make the same things without impacting the planet. That's the best option we can put in place nowadays, I think. So I met so many entrepreneurs, which they are inventing new system to make great uh, amount of money, and they are not environmentalists at all. I remember one in Montana, which was inventing a system of algae, um, an algae system to cleaning the, the, the water uh, as a sewage system. And it was the day after sh uh, showing me um, his last catch was a grizzly. Mm. Grizzly That's bear. A grizzly bear, mm. you know, which is, was actually a grizzly bear famous because from the Herzog uh, uh, Grizzly Man documentary. Oh, yeah, yeah. God, yeah. And I was crying myself, mm. hiding myself. And uh, that's where we are as humanity, you know, and these generations. I believe the next generation, they will not be like us. Mm. They are much more aware. They are bored of us, our way of thinking. 
and I believe that they will and they can handle the war differently, mm. but our responsibility in 50 years is to give them a war that can still be handable. Yeah. And but don't we have to do things now? Now, though? yeah. Now. We can't yeah. wait for we them to take wait. care of it. Yes. Oh, sorry, we totally fucked everything up. But, exactly. you, you know, here, you, 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 you deal with yeah. it. You know, we don't so, know what to do. Yeah, I think circular economy is a great example of that, of what we can put in place right now to give to our kids something that they will be able to handle and maybe to destroy the GDP things, whatever, you know? Um, Because we we will not be able to do that. And it's utopic to think, you know, uh, on uh, other uh, kind of steps we can make. What we can do is making even greater business, uh, but without arming the planet anymore. Mm. And once again, I feel like on my researches, there are incredible examples, incredible. What is missing nowadays is the culture. There's no culture of solutions. Even today, I was um, watching the news and the Pope, mm. it's himself, he was saying like, please do something before it's too late. Don't think about yourself, think about the, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but no one is showing something. Mm. It's just like talk. And no one, young generation, they don't understand and their reaction is, you know, to throw tomatoes on art or uh, stop the traffic or yeah. because they don't have option. That, that's they cannot imagine their future yeah. because we are not giving them a way out. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about that, uh, the stop oil um, movement and, and, yeah. and I, you know, that's... I think about that because it seems an act of desperation, really, that they don't know, we don't know what else to do. And, and I think, you know, I think those people are really admirable that they put themselves, you know, in that position and they, and they want to throw tomatoes at art. Yeah. But I'm like, how's that going to help, really? You know, I mean, I suppose it's about publicity. It's about highlighting the problem. But it seems so pathetic in a way. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't mean that in a kind of, in a critical sense. I just mean, like, you know, in a very sort of practical sense. Um, all it kind of does is piss a certain number of people off. And I think if that's the best we got, we're really in trouble. Yeah. You know, if that's the solution to go and throw, you know, tomatoes at artwork, I don't think it's going to cut it. Yeah. You know, and that's not to say that I, you know, think I've got a better idea because I really don't. But, but, you know, in terms of what you're doing, it's interesting. I was reading the, the the kind of stuff from from the gallery, and it and it says in in some of the blurb, it says there's no question that images have a tremendous impact on today's society. And I wonder, is that true? Like you must believe that to some extent. But can we really say that now with all these millions of images? You're like you know, what what are your hopes in terms of the, the the impact that the work can have? I think. I mean, if you think about the photography power. Uh, let's say during the Vietnam War. Yeah, you know, good example. Yeah, yeah, that that was incredible. What happened? It really you know? changed everything. Because yeah. everything has changed because of pictures. You know, but we're living when, in a very when, different world now. Yeah, exactly. But what I'm what I I'm trying to say is that that picture, uh, those pictures, they were um, the pictures that people need to see 
to understand and create a culture that they didn't have at that time, which war, it was terrible, mm. you know. Mm. Nowadays, we don't even recognize if a picture of war is made where, you know. Yeah. We are getting used so much. And so when, when we think about photography and changing the world, we always think in one direction. That's what I believe. And we think that photography is about the last flood, is about the last fire, is about the last tremendous things happening in the world with climate change, you know. Mm. And how if it's not the only perspective? And how if we can give to young people pictures that they can show them solutions and they can show them a way of imagine and open a debate about the future. We don't know that because we don't have so much pictures mm -hmm. on that, you know. And uh, so I don't, I don't believe that photography uh, or videography nowadays, because the algorithm, let's say, has changed, you know, is actually losing its power. I believe that is losing, is losing its power, the drama, you know. Yeah. We are not into the drama anymore. We, we have too many. It's a tsunami of drama yeah. you know, every day. A tsunami and of imagery as we well. We don't yeah. recognize. I mean, of course, I'm not saying that this is not necessary. It is necessary, of course. But we need to balance this out. Mm. Because otherwise... Uh, and, and, and we know for history, especially, that the drama is connected so much to consumerism. Fear, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. So yeah. it's yeah, another they, good point. I mean, they want you want to wanna change the world with um, uh, news and, and, and images that are talking about the world is ending. And what you create is more consumerism because the world is ending anyway. Mm -hmm. Because these amazing places that you photographed and these amazing, you know, kind of scientists, essentially, who are working at the cutting edge of this kind of technology, um, it's kind of, I think I, I, I asked this earlier, but we, we didn't really answer it, which was, you know, are they just this kind of, these kind of outliers? Because they must feel like they're in a sort of little ghetto. Like your images, some of the ones that we're going to go and have a look at in, in the gallery... These are amazing things, but I ha haven't seen them anywhere. And you feel like, oh, why don't we know about this? Because it, it, there is, it makes me feel quite optimistic that there are these incredible people who are really committed, really, really committed. And there are, you know, we should give credit to, like you say, there are certain nations and governments that are genuinely, you know, seem to be quite committed to trying to solve some of these problems. And yet, you know, out in the normal kind of everyday world that we're walking around in, we're not seeing this stuff. Yeah. And it feels like we need something to, to hold on to, some hope to hold yeah. on to, which is, I think, what, what your pictures are providing for the people who can see them. I mean, hopefully people will come here to Gallery d'Italia and, and, and walk out thinking, well, I think I might, you know, maybe not throw that T-shirt away, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I mean, it's, it's I mean, my, my work... Uh, wants to actually work on um, possible solutions because I, I, as I said before, 
uh, I think we, we need to fill the gap. You know, we, we need to make people understand, especially uh, people in power nowadays, that can get a lot of benefit to apply this kind of system. All the, more or less all the subjects I photographed here are companies very successful, are companies that four years ago were not existing and nowadays they are, you know, um, having a, a, a great business in place uh, um, and, and, and solving environmental issues. But I believe that they are not doing because they are environmentalists, mm. but because it's a great business idea. Right. Well, this know? is incredibly important, isn't it? Because it is very important. If you can tick both boxes, then exactly. it's a win-win, right? If, yeah. if you're doing stuff that's in, environmentally friendly, but you're also making money, then you know there's there's that's there's it. a that's it that's it you know <laughs> and uh, and then eventually uh, you will you know get involved more because it's yours you know it's the way you do and you run your life and the way you you want to go to uh, the world economic forum to see other players on your field, doing other great innovators, so you will influence yourself as a businessman, yeah. and you will buy an electric car or a bike or whatever, because that's the style you have to have. You have to wear um, um, a, a circular fashion uh, um, dress, you mm, know, mm, mm. because that's the way you sell yourself in the market. So, you know, it's the domino effect. Right. is creating on people that were not thinking about it other than how I can make a great business, you know. So we have big companies, which nowadays giant, actually, we're talking about giant, that are transforming themselves into uh, philanthropists, green business, you know. We have great example on the planet, for example, uh, the Denmark oil and gas, okay, has changed, has finished, completed the transition after 20 years, and nowadays is the biggest player we have on planet for offshore wind. Right. And it, it's changed the name. It's now it's called Orsted, you know, and they have changed completely their 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 business. And they transform themselves and they are putting that on their website. They are saying like, we were the worst, we are the best. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's a great what example. We need. Yeah, I was going to ask you for a good example of, of, of who's sort of, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. Yeah, and uh, or Rio Tinto, which is, uh, has destroyed, you know, so much, you know, Aboriginal... They're a mining... In, in mining co company. Yeah. Uh, now they are creating uh, recycled aluminium for Apple. Mm, mm. So it is happening to some... That's it, good it's happening. Yeah, it's happening. happening because that's good news because, you know, other than um, other small example or pioneerism, you know, you have big players that they have understood that this is a great business idea, first of all. Mm. And once again... Next, next generation, hopefully, they will think completely different and they will more, be more aligned on the natural world. Okay, but we cannot 
ask to people in power now to have that kind of brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the point. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, it's about this. I, I feel like I'm pretty pessimistic about it because I think that it feels like we're not sophisticated enough as an animal. Like the human, you know, Homo sapiens are just not smart enough and not sophisticated enough to think long term, to consider our own existential threat, you know, and politicians in particular are very small minded in the sense that. You know, we know what they want. They want to stay in power and they're not really thinking long term. It feels like the the people who are in charge are not, you know, going to help this problem. Like the people we need to be in charge of the show, you know, they're not politicians fundamentally. Mm. You know, that's a kind of slightly pessimistic view of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm with you. It, it, there's a parameter that no one exactly knows, which is how much time we have. Yeah. We have uh, 500 years. Okay. Maybe we stop to do uh, uh, actions because we are not in a hurry. Or, But for sure, if we have 500 years, we can make it. If we have 50, maybe yeah. not. Well, we've definitely not got no. 500. But we, we, yeah. <laughs> we got 50, but maybe. Maybe, but we don't know yet. For sure, we have... We will have an adaptation, mm. that is for sure. Mm. I mean, we will have to adapt ourselves on this planet in one point. And uh, I'm not a scientist, of course, and, uh, and even scientists, they disagree a lot about how much time we have, okay? But um, once again, I think uh, the action doesn't have to come always from the government, mm. okay, because the government are elected by people. So me, myself, I believe in the culture of people because they can choose the right government to represent them. And I believe that the culture is not spreaded. I mean, we, we, we are not so much cultured on options. Mm. So we, we take what they give us, you know. And so now we are on a stage if, when that if you have a government which is actually creating opportunities for uh, green business, then you will have green products on the market. It should not be like this. Mm. It should be like the people that wants yeah, and yeah. buy only green products and all the others, they have to adapt. Right. Because otherwise we're going to not buy the products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we create that. You create with culture. Right, right. It's a kind of Che Guevara kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but it's always, it's always the point, you know. Yeah, uh, we, we, we need to You take the problem from, ourselves. from the power yeah. or from the people. Mm. Because it should be in a society that the power is coming from people and not from the government. In terms of your, your pictures, just to come back to them, um, there was something that you were, you were saying, um, I think it was part of an Oscar Barnack um, interview you did, and I, I was interested in it, and you were to, I'm not sure if you'll be able to remember what, what you were talking about, but you were, you were talking about creating disorientation, almost, between the facts of the story and your images. Could you kind of explain a little bit what you were meaning by that? 
Yeah, that um, when I I've started to create these pictures and this investigation, one of my biggest problem was like how I can create something uh, in, interesting uh, enough to make people uh, attracted uh, and read the caption. Okay. Right. Yeah, you got to get people's attention, right? Exactly. <clears throat> And, uh, and photography has that power, you know, can be magnetic, so can be something that becomes an icon and you want to know more. So the, the way I found to, to do that is to actually compose the pictures and create situations where it's not clear what you are looking. Right. And uh, even if it's not clear if it's real or not. Okay. Right. Now with in artificial intelligence, that it's a problem. Another but, problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it can be an advantage as well. Uh, but um, so when I I, I mention the disorientation, is because I want to actually uh, people to don't understand what they are looking, uh, and but at the same time they feel like attracted by this image or video and uh, when i see people in front of my pictures that are uh, so interested and asking themselves questions and then they want to read the caption boom yeah that's the connection i want the ambiguity of an image that yeah is going to keep you kind of interested is, is is you're trying to figure out what you're looking at right yeah there. i mean that's yeah. always been the one of the great joys of photography you know exactly. that you cr tr can generate that exactly yeah. exactly okay yeah that's, that's and, and that's the way i um i want to help to create the culture because the picture it should be less important than the the information behind the picture and of course yeah yeah absolutely so now I think we should finish up. Um, I'd love to go and look at yeah. the show. Is there anything I didn't cover that you'd like to mention? Can you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's something that uh, is a um, step forward on my research that I will actually, you know, uh, develop more and more. Which is um, after COVID and. Uh, when I actually started to to develop the circle, um, I I have changed my uh, perspective a bit on solutions because I actually believe that solutions are not coming only from technology or you know a sort of uh, Homo Deus that is controlling everything but is coming from nature itself. So what I did in, the, in, this, in this exhibition, in this project, I brought back nature inside my photography, which was completely new for me, and you will see in the exhibition. And uh, that was another difficult step to make visually, because I know how to bring technology you know, inside the, the, the imagery I'm creating, but how about nature itself? And then I found a way, which is very interesting, is considering nature as a device. So as technology itself, the best technology that 
humanity will never be able to invent such technology. So I did a lot of researches on the best plans we have in the planet for solving the climate crisis. And if you analyze those plans as a device and as a software, you will discover that they can do so many things um, uh, with, with a single device, natural device. And I've discovered the world of nature-based solutions, right. which are very promoted by the European Union as well and everywhere, that they consider nature as a technology that we can apply to solve the problem. And that is very interesting That's and it's a big door yeah. you know, for me and to continue to investigate more. How incredible that, that nature could come to our rescue, yeah, exactly. not technology, you know, exactly. that would be the opposite, exactly. that would be amazing. Exactly. Or even a combination of those two things. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the idea of the circle. The circle is a project which is not about circular economy. It's about the most convenient shape we have in nature, which is a circle. And that I get told that by scientists, which I'm working with at CERN, you know, and they were showing me uh, the, the system. And if you come back to the photosynthesis, for example, which I shot for this project, you will realize that actually it's so logic, it's so, you know, incredible logic yeah. that we have to get back to a circle a cycle and a, yeah. you know, it's all based because, on cycles yeah because yeah. actually there was a period of time where the plants start to create oxygen and they destroyed and extinct any other living uh, organism in the planet that they were like trying to conquire the planet themselves and with this oxygen and production of sugar, they have invented the world we are living. And the Holocene, you know, the biodiversity we have, which are our resources, our warehouse, you know. Mm. And uh, so we live in balance with, with the planet if we are inside an operating system talking about you know gigs you know back to your old uh, <laughs> exactly. world you know the whole thing of software which is always yeah. influencing me so if you think about that what is incredible is that people if you talk now about nature as a device they will understand yeah amazing incredible <laughs> luca this has been fascinating thank you so much thank you. for talking thank to you. me thank you